Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Today we're in 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 9. Then all the elders of Israel gathered, to, gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab a seat. My name's Brad. I'm the lead pastor here at Hill City Church. That is my wife and daughter. I will have you know my heart still skips a beat at the sight of that lady. And I'm going to try to get it together here before I go into this sermon. Okay? What we will do is we're going to pray and then we will jump in. Okay? Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the church. Open our eyes that we might see awesome things from your word today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So back in the 1920s, roughly 100 years ago, uh, some conservationists and some uh, farmers got together and they, and they planted a, a weed. And the weed is the Sericea lespediza. That's the plant. And the reason they planted it was to help control erosion. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, the problem is this weed just took over. It started in the south, and, he, and over a hundred years, it has now grown through the Midwest. It's taken over Nebraska. It's all over Missouri, uh, and it just spread, and it took over. Now, you might ask yourself, how in the heck do you even know this? So I, I do have to explain this. There's only one reason that I, that I know this. So I, I love the outdoors. I enjoy hunting. It's one of the things I enjoy uh, hunting uh, are white-tailed deer. And the reason I know this is because this junky weed grows all over the Midwest and white-tailed deer will not eat it. And it takes over native grasses that they will eat. So that, that's how I know about it. And, and, it's, and it's, it's just junk, okay? Now why am I starting a series off with a, a story about a weed? Here's why. Israel requests a king. And it seems like it's not... Like, like, what's the big deal, right? But what we are going to see is that, that this request will have a similar effect on Israel. It seems like an all right idea. It doesn't seem uh, harmful. It seems it may be even harmless, but it will take over. And just like a weed that spread and is continuing to spread throughout the United States, and now they're trying to kill the stuff, there will be natural consequences for this choice that Israel makes to ask for a king. They don't really ask, they demand a king. 
Now, before we dive in, unapologetically, I want you to get your pencils, your pens, your phones. You need to take notes because we're going to set the stage for the rest of the semester. And we have to do that by talking about a couple of what we would call motifs that we see throughout Scripture. By motifs, I mean distinctive features or, or dominant ideas uh, in a literary composition. You will see these motifs throughout Scripture. The first one that I want to talk to you about is this idea of a walk or a path or a journey. You see this develop. It starts in Genesis and it stays uh, with us all throughout Scripture. We see phrases like walk with God. We see phrases like walk without God. And it starts in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man and his wife hid themselves. This is post-sin and we see very literally a walk from Adam and Eve. And as we progress through scripture, we see where it gets less literal and more figurative. Genesis chapter 4, we see Cain. You guys know the story of Cain. He killed his brother Abel. And then it says, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. This is journey language. This is a path that he was on. And then you can read, there's a little uh, book right before Revelation uh, called Jude, and, and it talks in Jude about the way of Cain. There's a way that Cain went. You can read on in Genesis chapter 5, there's a fellow by the name of Enoch, and here's what it says of Enoch. Enoch walked with God. Now, he didn't walk with God the way Adam and Eve did, but it's that language. He walked with God. You can read then in Genesis chapter 6, a more familiar uh, fellow is Noah. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. You can read on. You see Esau, and Esau went a certain way. Jacob, read about Jacob, and there is a journey that Jacob went on. That's Genesis alone. Then we get into Exodus. The term Exodus itself is a journey uh, word. And we get in there, and we see that the Lord carried them out of Egypt, right? The Lord took them through a wilderness, are you seeing the journey language here, just in Exodus? But what's funny is, it, it, listen, it goes south pretty quickly. I'm going to come back to this uh, verse uh, later on this morning, but I want to bring this to your attention. In chapter 32 of Exodus, it says, of the people of God, they have turned aside quickly out of the way in which I commanded them. And then we jump in to Deuteronomy, and we see more journey language. Moses, right out of the gate, is called to take a literal journey in chapter 1. Then you get into Deuteronomy chapter 6, which, which you've, get, you've been coming to Hill City uh, long enough when we do our Family Commitment Sundays. I will read some, uh, some words from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is the passage where we're, where we're called to fear the Lord and love the Lord our God with all our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, all our strength. Like fear the Lord, love God wholeheartedly, be, be wholeheartedly committed to God. But then we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, same chapter, verse 18, it says, Do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Now you're hearing me going, you lost me there, because I'm not hearing journey language or path or way. But if you take a closer look, this word, do that which is right, 
The original word that is used there is the Hebrew word yashar. And here's what that word means. Straight or straightforward. So they're commanded here, do that which is straight or straightforward and good in the sight of the Lord. Later on in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says, do not turn aside from any of the words that I commanded you to the right hand or to the left hand to go after other gods to serve them. Are you hearing the journey language? You're hearing path. You're hearing, you're hearing a way in which we should go, ways in which we shouldn't go. Then you get into Judges, the book of Judges, and it says, uh, chapter 17, chapter 21, in those days there was no king and everyone did that which was yashar in his own eyes. Now your Bible would say did that which was right in his own eyes, but quite literally in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did that which was straight in their own eyes. The problem with doing what is straight in their own eyes is it was crooked in God's eyes. And we're going to see that that is kind of a pattern. This motif exists throughout Scripture, and it's important because it will help you understand your whole Bible. This language never goes away. If you read Paul's writing, he will talk about your walk with God. He mentions it over 32 times. Now, for this series specifically, I bring attention to this because one day, it's important to know that Israel is going to have a king. And he would write things like this, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Journey language. Well, that king would have a son and he's going to write things like keep your feet from evil. Do not swerve to the right hand or to the left. And then even further down, there's going to be a descendant of those kings, and he's going to come on the scene, and here's what he's going to say. I am the way. Like, I'm not here to show you the path or show you the way. I am the way. This language stays with us. So there's one motif. But there's another one. Because for the most part, you read your Old Testament, for the most part, and even into your New Testament, for the most part, most of the time, Israel was unfaithful. Did you catch that? For the most part, most of the time, Israel was unfaithful. In other words, more often than not, they eventually turn aside. Why? Because that is the human condition. So let's not look at Israel. Let's not look and be like, oh, how foolish they are. No, this is the human condition. To be unfaithful and to turn aside is very common. Now here's the reality. Our unfaithfulness, very similar to Israel, which we're going to see, our unfaithfulness comes out in the form of idolatry. There's motif number two. It's a common theme. You are going to see it. See, we start down a path, and it may be one degree off of what God has commanded. Maybe it's a thousand degrees off of what God commanded. It doesn't matter. We start down a path, and it's an incorrect path. We've gone to the left. We've gone to the right. And we start down that path because of idolatry. 
And the crazy thing about it is it just this path then leads us to more idolatry. This is the human condition. So let's talk about this path of idolatry. You guys maybe have heard of a story of a golden calf in the Old Testament. I've already read a passage out of Exodus chapter 32. But this is, this is a passage about a golden calf. Moses is up, he's getting, well, he, he's with God and he's getting the commandments and the people get impatient and Aaron, his brother, he leads, he's like, listen, here's what we got to do. We, we, we got we to gotta get our goal and we got to put it together and we got to create this thing. And they created it and, and they started worshiping this golden calf. And here's what God says in verse 8 and 9 about them. He says, they have turned aside. You see the language there, the journey, the path language? They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, are you kidding me? Who brought them out of Egypt? Who split the seas to have them walk across on dry ground? It was not a golden calf. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Idolatry. So as we move forward, we'll come back to this, but let's get maybe this working definition of what we're talking about when we talk about idolatry. G.K. Beale in his book, We Become What We Worship, here's what he says. This is idolatry. Whatever your heart clings to or relies on for ultimate security. The idol is whatever claims the loyalty that belongs to God alone. So let me word it like this as we begin our series called The Throne. An idol is anything that we put in the seat where God alone should sit. Idolatry is what takes us off of the right path and it happens quickly. And we will then become like what we worship. G.K. Beale also says this. He says, we resemble what we revere, either for ruin or restoration. So let's go back to the golden calf. And God says they are a stiff-necked people. We see language about eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. Jesus comes on the scene. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Why? Because idolatry was so ingrained and the people had become like what they worshiped. You saw the picture of the golden calf. It had a mouth. It couldn't speak. It had eyes. It could not see. It had ears. It could not hear. It had a neck, but it could not move. It was stiff-necked. Most of Israel had become what they worshiped. And that is also the human condition. 
So there you go. You have path. You have this journey language. You have a way, right? And then you have idolatry. And, and listen, the undercurrents throughout this series, that, that's what's going to be running as the undercurrents throughout this series. We're going to come back to these. And this takes us then to our passage as we dive in today when it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons are not walking your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. So here's what you have. Israel right here demands a king. Right here you see the origins of the monarchy. How did kingship begin for Israel when we talk about human king? It's right here. So then you might ask yourself, so what's the problem? Like, they asked for a king. Well, the problem is in verse 7, verses 7 through 9. So Samuel goes to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt... And delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. So he's alluding to this golden calf. You don't see it right on its face, but that's what he's talking about. They went to other gods, but today you have rejected your God, it says here. Nope. He said, now obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. So there is the problem. God tells Samuel, listen, it's not that they asked for a king. It's the heart behind why they asked for a king. Here's what he says. It's old idolatry. It just put on a new outfit. Like it's the same thing that went on when they created a golden calf. This time it's just a little more maybe uh, sophisticated. See, the problem wasn't that they asked for a king. God was always going to give them a king. Now stay with me. I'm going to read a lot of scripture right here. But you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. You can read this for yourself. But God was always going to give them a king. Here's what he says to them. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers, you shall set a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way. He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Go down to verse 10, and when he sits on the throne, he's going to write for himself a book of the copy of the law. That's approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he'll read it all the days of his life. Listen, it goes on. Here are the things he's not supposed to do. Here are the things he's supposed to do. And as you read and learn of these kings of Israel, you're going to see they must have forgotten something. So what was the problem? Again, I say it was their hearts. It was the motive for why they were asking for a king in all of their past trouble, 
and all of their past junk, they would turn to Yahweh and they would pray and they would go to him for deliverance and Yahweh always delivered. He is faithful. He was always faithful. But for some reason, this time they're in trouble and they say, nah, give us a king. But not just give us a king. Give us a king like all the other nations. In other words, they said, we want a substitute for God this time. We want a king. And we want a king to lead us how we want to lead and do, the, do it the way that we want it done. Like all the other nations, he will be the one we prop up and he will be where we will find our national pride. No thanks, Yahweh. Had they come to Samuel and been like, Samuel, please give us a king. We desire a king and it would be one that would hear from Yahweh, hear from God and lead us where God wants us to go. Like, would you do that? I think Samuel would be like, let's go, let's do it. God said this was coming. But listen, that's not what they asked for. Like all the other nations. Samuel later on goes to say in chapter 12, their wickedness was great. Why would he use such harsh words? Because they were doing the very same thing that they did with the golden calf. They were saying that someone else could deliver them besides God. Someone else had delivered them besides God, and it was a cheap substitute. It was idolatry. Later on in the Bible, it's actually, they use an even harsher word. It's called whoredom. What does God do? This is unique. This is bizarre. God says, okay, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. What? So now we have to have a discussion because this is unique. We need to have a discussion about God's judgment and we need to have a discussion about God's love because what will happen oftentimes in, a, in, in, our, in our environments is we think that God's judgment, right? And, and I understand why we get there. It's like the earth opens up and swallows people whole, right? We think that's God's judgment. Maybe in our context, even today, that we think God's judgment is like, well, he's withholding something from me. He won't let me have this. I really desire this, and I really desire that, and you're not getting it. And you think, what is wrong, God? What have I done wrong? He's withholding something from me. But if you really look at the pattern of God, his pattern is that in his love, he will say no to what he knows will hurt. And then in his judgment, he will actually say yes to what hearts desire. guys remember God 
was like, hey, there's this land, and I want you to go possess it, and it's amazing. It's called the promised land. He's like, go get it. It's yours. And this same group of people, they look, and they're like, uh-oh, I see, see some trouble over there. Nah. God's like, no, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. And like, no, we would rather stay in the wilderness. That's what their heart desired. They wanted to stay in the wilderness. So, so everybody that was 40 and up, you know what happened? They stayed in the, they actually died in the wilderness. They were unable to cross, cross over and go to the promised land. And you think, oh, God, that's harsh. What's he doing? All he was doing was just giving people exactly what they wanted. See, God is a gentleman. He doesn't share his seat. He's too good. He's a good and perfect king. He will not share his throne with anyone. So what does he do? Oftentimes, God will give us what we ask for. But he doesn't usually do it without some loving warnings. So Brad, what are you talking about? When you ask God to get off of the throne and let something else sit there, usually he says, are you sure? And you're like, yep. And then he'll go, okay. He will move. But look what Samuel tells him. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. You've asked for this, let me give you a loving warning. Now, there's a theme that will develop here. It's going to be easy to pick up on. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen, to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. Verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks. Verse 14, he will take the best of your fields and vineyards. Verse 15, he will take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards. Verse 16, he will take your male servants and female servants. Verse 17, he will take the tenth of your flock. Verse 18 says, and in that day you're going to cry out because of this king. What will this king do? He will I would like you to just maybe hear this this morning as a loving warning. I would like you to hear this as God stepping in saying, I love you. You need to hear this. When we resort to idolatry, when we reach to grab a substitute, it will always grab back. And it will take. And it will take. And it will take. And what eventually happens is it causes us to not listen to wisdom. The idol has made itself comfortable on the heart. And we will not listen to wisdom. See, here's the thing in our culture right now. And you need to pay attention to this. Here's the theme. Here's what people think will save. 
Here's what people think where we will get our salvation. You ready? In education. Like education is our savior. Okay? I love education. Bunch of college students. Good to see you guys back this week. Okay? But hear me out. Education doesn't itself change. It can clarify some things. But education does not transform. Samuel just goes on a, he gives a speech. He gives them an education. He gave them knowledge. And here was their response. Thank you for that. Uh, Now give us a king. No, like we just told you what this was going to do. Don't care. Listen, don't date him. He doesn't follow Jesus. He will take. But when a relationship is your idol, you will not listen to that wisdom. Okay, listen. Don't buy that. You don't have the money. It's unwise. And as soon as you drive it off the lot behind your truck, it loses half of its value. You will regret this. But when status is your idol, you don't listen to the wisdom. Don't give all your time to this. You're a father. You're a husband. And you've elevated this career above your wife and above your kids. Don't do it. It's going to cost you. It's going to take. It's going to take. It's going to take. But when recognition is your idol, you don't hear that wisdom. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Listen to me. Don't quit. I know it's a tough season. Persevere. Follow Jesus. Don't quit. I know it's hard right now. But when comfort is your idol, you don't listen to that wisdom. That's what idols do. They take and they take and they take and you don't listen. We may not make golden calves. We don't ask for literal literal kings. Ours is a more sophisticated idolatry, but God sniffs it out. We want to fit in. We wish to not offend people. Because we want to be like the other nations. Okay, listen to me. Israel was never supposed to be like the other nations. That's God's chosen people. Now listen, I'm not telling you we are Israel. I'm not, this isn't some theological sermon on Israel and, and, and what's going on. But, but we can look at them and we can learn. And we, if you're following Jesus, if you pass from death to life, you are chosen, the Bible would tell us. And listen to me, the chosen are not supposed to be like other nations. Here's what happens, Okay. And these are loving mornings. Listen, we're going to float out of church. I got some really good news coming up after this, okay? We're going to float out of here. Praise God. Now listen to me. But first, sin, idolatry, it always takes you to a place quicker than you could ever imagine and to a darker, deeper place than you ever thought you would go. That's the reality. See, in verse 5, they say, just give us a king to rule over us, to judge us like all other nations. Okay, that's like, yeah, you shouldn't want to be like all other nations. But what's really going on there? Well, just a few verses later, look at verse 20. 
Samuel warns them. And they say, no, we want a king to rule over us. That we also may be like all their nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. What? It's not just they want to be like all their nations. Yahweh, you're not good enough to fight my fights. You're not good enough to go before me. We want an earthly king now to go before us and fight our battles. How quickly do you see the path that they went down? They started down a path to demand a king. And before you knew it, they're so far down a path, they're like, God doesn't even need to go before us anymore. Whoa, that's really dangerous. But that's what idolatry will do. So let's get really practical. You know how we do it here. Let's just talk, listen. This is called throne inventory. Where have you asked a king to rule over you and judge you? Where have you asked for something to be appointed over you? Where have you wanted something to go before you and fight your battles? Where have you asked for a substitute? What I'm talking about specifically, I'm talking about the throne of your heart. Where is it that you put your identity? Where is it that you put your security? Let's, let's have the courage to evaluate this this morning. But we have to know that here's what happens when we do that. Here's what happens when we, more specifically, here's what happens when we have something in the seat where only God is supposed to sit. It's mutiny. It's high treason. And here's the thing about mutiny and high treason. In no culture throughout all human history did I find a humane punishment for such a crime. You don't go against the king and not pay significantly for it. And here's what we do as a culture. If I just had this, my life would be complete. I would be strong. I would be able to win a battle. If I just had a boyfriend, if I just had a spouse, if I just could get a new job, that would win my battle for me. If I just had more money, it would solve my problems. If I could just go get this degree, it would go before me and it would win my battles. And it's mutiny. But we don't have a king like all the other nations. Now here's where it gets really good. Because I want you to look around the room. It's a room full of people, starting here, working all the way back, who are guilty of high treason. And look what Samuel says in chapter 12. Verse 20. Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. Like you're, no, they're guilty. They just told God, get out of my way. I want somebody else on your throne. And Samuel says, yep, it was evil, but listen to me, do not be afraid. Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. 
See, here's the beauty of our good and perfect king. They asked for God to move. He wasn't threatened by it. His heart was broken, I'm sure, but you know what he did? He said, okay, let's do this. I'm going to do this. And, and I know he was grieved, but listen, sometimes just like what loving fathers have to do with their own children, like you got to let your kids learn the hard way. That's what God was doing. It was a form of judgment. This is what you want. I will give it to you. But here's the thing about our good and perfect king. Even when we do that, he will be there in our pain and in our trouble, in our natural consequences that are going to inevitably come. But he will not forsake you because he is a faithful and he is a perfect king. If you're serving communion, I want you to come forward. I want the band to come forward. Listen, that's really, really good news for a people who are guilty, that our king would look us in the eye and say, do not be afraid. But here's a reality. Because he's a good and perfect king, he actually could not let mutiny or high treason go unpunished. It's just that we didn't have to suffer for our own crimes. I still have not found a situation where someone did not pay for the high crime of treason. Enter King Jesus. Without question, there are people in this place who have not passed from death to life. You are not a Christian. You have never been saved. And you are here because God has you here. And this morning you heard about this high treason. You heard about this throne of your heart. And it's today for the very first time that you know that God belongs on that throne and he stands ready to forgive you. You don't have to walk in here afraid. That's not how it goes. Most of us in this room, we've passed from death to life. We are saved. We follow Jesus. But what happens is oftentimes we still ask God to move, to put other things on the throne. And what we have to do, the pattern of our life, is that we give ourselves to Jesus over and over and over again. I want you to stand with me. So each week we receive communion. We come down these middle aisles. We've added some stations, so you can, if you come down to the front, you can pick. We'll just try to keep it going smoothly. We have two stations in the back for the back half. We have two stations also in the balcony. But let's, listen, some real talk here. I, I need us to be courageous today. As we take inventory of the throne, it was Calvin that said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. He was right. And what I want us to do today is I want us to just look and evaluate what's on our hearts. Let's identify it. Let's have the courage to name it. Let's have the courage to confess it and pray over it. There are going to be people down here in front to pray. There will be some over on the side. There's nothing we'd like more than to just pray with you. Listen, this is the pattern of our lives. We identify what's sitting where God should sit and we repent. We confess it and we repent and we move toward restoration. And it's possible because King Jesus 
paid our penalty for our high crime. That's what we celebrate in communion. This is a celebration. I want you floating out of here on that truth today. You're going to have bread. It's going to be torn. That's a representation of the body of our king. It's going to be dipped into a cup. It's a representation of the blood of our king. Who doesn't share his seat, praise God. Let's spend some time praying, and then let's come to the table.